Hey, hey, it's me, the Kentucky Guy, and thank you so much for joining this episode of The Red Pill Current News Podcast. On this episode, we have a very special guest. She is a visionary conscience communication and leadership consultant and mentor, as well as a six-time international best-selling author. Diana Lockett joins the show, so be sure to check it out on this episode. She talks all about leadership, collaboration, education, starting at a young age, and you'll find out some pretty cool stuff on her website as well. And once again, thanks for listening to this episode of the Red Pill Current News Podcast. and welcome to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. I'm your host, the Kentucky Guy. Hope everybody is having a fantastic day today. If this is your first time joining the show and listening to us, please hit that follow or subscribe button no matter which platform you're listening to us on. We are on 73 audio platforms, including Pandora, Spotify, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and more. Also, for you sports fans, I do co-host Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We drop new episodes uh, with Donnie Cage. We drop new episodes there every Tuesday and Saturday. If you'd like to check that out. Also, if you'd ever like to be a guest on this show, you can always email me or if you have any questions at Kentucky spelled out, Kentucky 99 at yahoo.com. Also, in the links below, you will find merch websites, all that good stuff as well. I want to get right to our guest today. I want a big, big welcome uh, for our special guest this evening. And please welcome, please join me in welcoming visionary, conscious, communication, leadership, consultant, and mentor, as well as a six-time international best-selling author, Miss Diana Lockett. What a pleasure it is to be here. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Absolutely. So, so excited to have you on and glad you could join us. Uh, so since you're first time on the show, uh, Ms. Lockett, if you could go ahead and give a description to the audience, let them get to know you a little bit, uh, maybe what you do in your okay. profession. For sure. So for 32 years, I worked as a speech and language pathologist and simultaneously I became a conscious communication leadership consultant, which means that I help people to become awakened in their lives, to be able to live more consciously, for leaders to be able to take radical responsibility for the impact that they have. And I want to just also let us know, everyone, that we're all leaders. And the difference is, are we leaders that are leading from the heart, from a conscious place of wanting to make the world a better place, which means every moment of every day. I also teach mindfulness in education, and I have a lofty goal to impact 2 million kids this year by training their staff, their secretaries, their administrators, and their parents to be able to 
take radical responsibility for their well-being by teaching self-regulation skills so they could be co-regulators for these little kiddos that they get to work with. I am an international speaker and I'm now a six-time best-selling author with my latest book having just been released two days ago. Amazing, amazing. So I've always thought that the future is always, it always starts with the kids, right? That's why I have a, kind of an issue with our public education here in the U.S., some of the things being taught, but we won't get into that. <laughs> so I'm glad to see, or glad to hear that uh, you're helping parents with younger children to progress to be a better leader in society and in this world. When I was going over your website, and I'll get you, I'll give you a chance here at the end to give out all your social medias and what have you. I was going over your website. I noticed a couple of things that I had questions about just to maybe the audience has never heard of. I read up on them. I thought they were pretty great. I'm sure you can give a much better detail to myself. Uh, like regulate to educate. Can you kind of explain that slogan? Yeah. So I have a program called Regulate to Communicate, and there are seven pillars to that program. One of them is educate, so regulate to educate. And this is the training that I do with parents, educators, secretaries in schools, and principals. My background is a speech-language pathologist. For 32 years, I was a consultant in, a, in a, the largest school board in Ontario, Canada. And I would see kids very regularly lose their ability to control or self-regulate. They just didn't have the potential or the, the skills to do it. And then they would be placed in classrooms and expected to learn when their nervous systems are so activated with whatever their backpacks are filled with that they're bringing to school, which includes trauma and all kinds of different experiences that they've had in their homes that we know nothing about. So these kids would come in, they would have whatever variation of meltdown or just inability to attend or inability to learn. And adults would say to them, just pay attention just calm down, stop it. And the reality is if the kids could, they would. And so a lot of the research now shows that the nervous system, which is the communication network between the body and the brain, requires regular tune-ins, check-ins, to be able to function well, to be able to be the conduit for communication between the brain and the body. And so the work that I do is teach people how to be in their body so that they could relax in that present moment, which then opens the portal to be able to learn better, attend better, do better, be better. And it starts with the adults rather than with the kids. Okay. All right. So, yeah, so absolutely. So once you train the adults in thinking this way, then, you know, kids are like sponges, especially at a yeah. young age, and they thrive yeah. off the adults that they're around. Yeah, That's it makes right. perfect sense. That's right. And, and the thing is, we know if kids, sorry to interrupt, if kids are not regulated, they're not able to learn. They're not able to attend. They're not able to absorb information. And by the way, when you talked about this, the learning and the educational system in the US, I'm in Canada, I have similar concerns. The research is showing that we're teaching an educational system of teaching that is 200 years old, and yet we're moving into an era of AI, artificial intelligence, where the artificial intelligence is always going to be smarter than the kids. So what do we need to be focusing on in education? Self-regulation, how to relate to each other, um, how to be able to move our bodies, 
how to be able to access our emotional awareness and emotional intelligence. These are the skills that AI will never be able to take over, and yet we're not teaching that in education. So I'm really here with a mission to want to reform education, having lived in it for 32 years as an educator. And it's, uh, it's part of what I, I'm doing this year as I go around to school boards, schools, and parent groups and show them, first of all, from a science perspective, what happens when we're under stress, and stress can be physical stress, could be mental stress, could be emotional stress, what happens to our brain and our nervous system, and what are some very simple, really simple tools that we can use to alter that. And this is what I call my conscious communication leadership consulting work. I do it in corporations, I do it in education, I do it with parent groups. And I have a real soft spot in my heart for parent groups of special education parent, uh, children. When you say corporations, uh, are you saying that you've actually done like seminars or yeah. uh, like in board meetings and what have you? Yeah, I go into businesses and, um, and th that gets really interesting. I go into businesses and I bring leadership teams together. And if I can help the leadership team understand the relevance, the importance of, and the necessity of this work, then we bring it into the employee groups as well. So I get to work with all kinds of different teams, all kinds of organizations. So education is one that keeps calling me in. Of course, it's where I've spent my life, but I also work in healthcare. I worked in, I have done uh, situations and events rather in, um, in corporations that are like engineering firms, hospice environments, um, trying to think of at marketing and social media places. And the reality is this work is not exclusive of anybody. Everybody needs to do this work. And I have a logo or model that I use. We're all leaders, but are we leaders who really care enough to want to make a difference in how we're managing ourselves, self-managing, so that we can be better in relationship to others? And every time we're interacting with another, we're in relationship with them. Right. Yeah. So that the reason why that interested me is because uh, my background I used to run a, uh, I used to be SVU manager for call centers for Xerox. Mm -hmm. And I would have leadership, uh, such as yourself, leadership trainers, we called them back then, come in and uh, talk to a group, you know, usually a smaller group of my, of my uh, site leaders, supervisors, OMs, and things like that. And uh, I've always found it, especially at the uh, site I was running in Jamaica, very, very useful. Very useful. So uh, I think that's amazing. Can you, are you able to name a couple of organizations you've worked with that we may have heard of? Or Most of the organizations have been local in Canada. And I've been involved with a lot of new startup businesses, but I'm not at liberty to say yet because they haven't launched their businesses. But startup businesses are contacting me and asking me to do this with them from the ground up because they know, they value, they know the research. The research is consistent. Like every single research facility, Harvard University and all the other places are doing research on what used to be called mindfulness in the workplace. Now we're calling it relationship, communication, resilience. We've got lots of different words that we use it's essentially how to be in better relationship with yourself so you can be more productive, you can be more related, relational, you can be more intelligent because you can access the part of your brain that gets shut down if you're under stress. 
So I'm not at liberty to share some of those organizations, <laughs> but, um, but I've been doing this for about 15 years. So I've been around quite a bit, mostly in Canada, some in the U.S. as well. And there's excessive amount of research that su supports this. So if anybody's curious, simply go in and put in workplace, leadership, workplace, regulation, self-regulation, mindfulness, communication, all of those keywords will find the research for you. Yeah, and I know uh, it sounds a lot like something I used to train uh, with my leadership was, uh, we called it SMART goals. Have you mm -hmm. ever heard of those? I have heard Specific. of SMART goals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, more, that's more on a uh, KPI, key performance indicator basis yeah. than your actual self, but sounds mm -hmm. very, very similar though. Very yeah. So when we're dealing with SMART goals and those sort of KPI indicators, we're talking a little bit more about productivity and mind concepts. And the work that I do is really taking people into their bodies. And so it could be as simple as what does it feel like right now to live in your stomach, in your belly? And people don't really think about that. But the way that we relate to our bodies, and our bodies are constantly giving us information, feedback, we call them sensations, which is the language of the body of how we're experiencing life in every moment. When we can start to pay attention, then we can start to notice, it's called tracking, when tension is starting to rise in the body. When tension starts to rise in the body, it naturally and very quickly, like you've seen, we've all seen people react super quickly in like a second, then it goes up to the mind and there's a reactivity. What I want to do is be able to help people to understand that they actually have 100% control of how they're experiencing life through their body. And because they have 100%, I just had a client meeting and I asked her, how much control do you have over your life? And she said, well, other than nine to five, I have full control of my life. I said, so you have no control between nine and five. She says, no, I'm, I'm at everybody else's you know, whim of my work. I said, do you get to control whether you turn on your computer or not? She said, yeah. I said, you get to control how you communicate to people? She said, yeah. I said, you get to control your thoughts when they're coming in and distracting you from your activities. She said, yeah, I don't, but I get to, I can. I said, you get to control how you feel and how you respond to situations. She said, yes. So you're telling me you have 100% control of your day. She said, I guess I do. But most people don't. And so what happens is we play the blame game and we start pointing fingers and reactivities run high. And when all that happens, relationships start to fracture and this is the problem in the world today. This is the problem in politics. It's the problem in religion. It's the problem in cross cultures. It's the problem in homes, in families, in partnership. And it doesn't have to be that way. If we could all learn to take radical self-responsibility for who we are and how we are and how we show up, which is the work I do, then we can make a better world. And that's ultimately why I'm here. Yeah, it's, that's just great. Is fantastic. Now, do you um, are you a believer in uh, proper dieting? Goes along with that as well. At, in uh, sleep, I've always heard sleep has a lot to do with leadership and stress and so forth. Relationships. Absolutely, absolutely. So, if we're talking about self-regulation, we're talking about how do you manage yourself? How does one manage themselves? So, if we look at leadership, the first thing we're always leading is we're self-governing. We're leading ourselves. And so that comes with, again, the responsibility or not of what do you put in your body? 
What do you, how much sleep do you get? How much substance abuse or use are you doing? What are you distracting yourself with? What are you distracting yourself from? So there's a lot of responsibility that comes from it. And the research does show that the body and the brain are so deeply interconnected that if we look at just at diet, what we put in our body impacts our brain. And so if we have a diet full of sugar, gluten is known to be a really popular one now, sugar, gluten, and um, like processed foods, then the brain responds with lack of attention, lack of clarity, we call it brain fog, and it's completely 100% related to what's sitting in our gut and the bacteria in our gut and the responses in our glucose and everything else that our body is managing every day. So absolutely 100%, if we're taking self-responsibility, if we're wanting to self-regulate, it's not just stress, although stress is a massive impact and that's mostly what I talk about. It's diet, it's sleep, it's movement every day. This is what what I call sovereignty, like being so fully responsible that you are the queen and the king of your body. This is what it would look like. Okay, yeah. And I also, uh, I, I don't think I've read this on your website, but when I was researching uh, conscience communication, uh, I noticed that there was like four main key components to it everywhere I looked. And uh, it was, uh, and you can uh, let me know if I'm on the right track or way off. <laughs> uh, it was uh, speak calmly, speak slowly, use brevity, uh, speak that has more impact, and then make sure you pause. Mm. What did we, <laughs> uh-oh. Great. So let me speak to that for sure. Um, and that's a big part of it, but I bring a whole different perspective to it because as a communication leader for 32 years, words matter a lot. So what you talked about was sort of the delivery of the words, and that's so important. Like I can just slow down right now, take a breath, pause, and the way that people will receive me and the way that I receive myself in this moment becomes very different. You probably can feel it. And then I can speak really quickly and I can start to, you know, ramp it up and I forget to breathe and I don't take breaks. And then it brings a sense of urgency or stress to our conversation. So consciousness is paying attention. It's being aware. And I love that you said, um, I think you said breath, but maybe I said breath. I have a chapter in my book that's called Breathe and Everything Changes. And it's because the neurophysiology of breath, one breath can make an entire difference to your body, to your inflammatory responses in your body, to your brain and your access to your genius part of your brain, which is your prefrontal cortex, to reducing the fight-flight responses that we so often are trapped in in today's society and don't know how to navigate. So breathing is part of conscious communication. And it's also the words, I'm going to add this other piece of it, it's the words that we choose. For example, people will often say, you, when they mean I. You know how frustrating it is, I'm giving you an example here, you know how frustrating it is when you go to the mall and there's never a parking lot and you're about to take a spot and someone else goes in it and you get so frustrated. And I'll look at yeah. them and say, that wasn't my experience. Are you talking about something you experienced? 
In that case, it's an I. When I went to the mall, I couldn't find parking and I was frustrated. It can be like that simple. And yet it's not because we're so conditioned to give away our power and to use you statements when we mean I. So that's one example. That's one word that I am very, very clear about when I train people to use I statements. It's extremely empowering. The other one is to avoid the word just. It's just me. Every time you say just, my former mother-in-law used to call and say, hi, it's just me. And there's nothing just about you. You are a miracle. Do you know there's a one in 400 billion chances that you would be born and here today listening to this and you made the cut. That makes you nothing short of a miracle. And it's every one of us. It's not just the people that are somehow blessed to be miracles. We're all miracles if we're here. And so by saying just, I just wanted to add this. I just want to ask a question. That just minimizes your communication. So if we're talking about conscious communication, we need to attend to the words that we're using. The other one is should. And I say, why are we shoulding all over ourselves? And we can change the word should to maybe I choose to, or I choose not to. So I should, I, I should go now because I have to make dinner. I should call um, so-and-so because I haven't spoken to them in a while. Instead, it's I want to and I choose to. Again, it's radical responsibility in life instead of giving away your power. And then another one is the feel versus think. This happens a lot. I feel like you never listen to me. So people believe that when they use feel, they're using more of a connecting word. And they wonder why their relationships are not more intimate. Well, feel is a word that must be followed by a felt sense experience. I feel heavy in my chest. I feel a clenching in my jaw. I feel a tightness in my low back. I feel an openness in my heart that allows me to be deeply connected to you when you listen to me. Can you hear the difference there between feel and think versus I think is a thought. That should be followed by a thought. So these are just some examples of how we can bring consciousness into our communication. And when I teach it, I teach it with the understanding that however old you are, you've had that many years of, of imprinting. And imprints are simply the conditioned responses that were given to us when we were not looking, which is every single one of us from the day we're born, from every adult source and every societal source. And so it's going to take a while. So I give people techniques and tricks like have sticky notes, remind yourself in different ways throughout the day to pay attention to parts of your communication, to include breath work as part of your daily practice. I ask people like every hour on the hour, stop and take five deep breaths. That's it. It could be that simple and you can change your life by doing that. Before you're about to have a difficult conversation that you've been avoiding, which I call withhold conversations, take five deep breaths before you're about to respond, someone has hit your car, you're about to get out, you're so angry, you want to yell, take five deep breaths. Because here's what I also teach people. Everyone does the best they can, given their model of reality of the world, which is their conditioning, their imprints, their conditioning, their resources in this moment, and their capacity. And I don't believe anyone ever says, I'm going to wake up today and I'm just going to make everybody's life around me miserable. People just are not conscious to how they're reacting. 
And that's how so many horrific things can happen in the world. It's kind of like a uh, chain reaction. Negative always flows a lot faster than positive. It's a chain reaction, and it can be a chain reaction in the opposite direction in a positive way. So the research shows us that on a, they followed someone around, they followed people around who did like random acts of kindness. And what they did is they followed the person that they did a random act of kindness to. And it could be as simple as saying, how are you today? Or giving them a smile or opening the door. And they followed all the people that they impacted. So I did something for person A. Person A went and did something for person B. Person B for person C. And so on. And it went 250 people were impacted by one random act of kindness in a day. That's massive. So when you think what I do doesn't matter... What you do absolutely matters. Just like paying it forward, yeah. It's paying it forward and it's recognizing that we have choices. And nothing changes. I say all the time, nothing changes until something changes. And you come back to this consciousness. Do you want to be conscious? Do you want to be aware? Some people call it woke. You know, do you want to be awake or woke? I don't consider myself a woke being. I simply have practices every day that remind me who I want to be, how I want to be, and the responsibility that I have to be that. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, the woke statement has took on a more negative term in the last couple of years than what it used to. So yeah, I can definitely see you're 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 uh, you're you're like me. You're aware of your surroundings and how I'm you aware. Of yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you're aware of your surroundings and how what you do affects them each and every day. Yeah. I'm very aware of the responsibility that I have through the actions that I take, through the thoughts that I have, because the thoughts then create an impact on my own system, my system being my nervous system, my body, my brain. So I'm aware of that. And so here every day I get to choose, how do I want to feel? Do I really want to believe that story that that person is plotting against me for something? How does it feel when I believe that story? How do I even know that that story is true? And yet my brain wants to hold on to that story and it clutches that story. And so I get to choose. Do I want to believe that story? Do I want to believe instead maybe that they're just really busy and they couldn't call me? Can I give you a very real and very painful recent example? Absolutely. So I've just launched this book. It's been a seven-year journey of writing this book. And it's been launched with a lot of vulnerability because I did I held nothing back. And that's what the reviews are saying. Like nothing has been held back in this book. I share fully my story and how I went from a very deep pain, neglect, abuse to love. And my book was about to launch this past Saturday. Three weeks ago, my book designer, who is someone that I've worked with for a few years because I've written five other books, compilation books. She's been the book designer for all those books. She's a friend. I've coached her and done some business coaching with her. And I had 17 edits left in my book. And I sent them to her on a Monday night. And I said, are you able to do these? I know you thought we were done, but I caught 17 additional errors. You know, if you're writing a book, no matter how many edits you do, you're going to catch errors. She sent me back a message and she said, yep, no worries at all. I'll get it back to you by the weekend. I didn't hear from her from the week by the weekend. 
So I started sending a few messages, just wondering, do you need anything from me? How's it going with the edits? Trying not to be accusing, trying to be conscious. And then when I didn't hear from her for a few more days, I started going back into our conversations and I created these stories. My stories, I had two stories. One is that, oh my gosh, she must be so busy. And here I am asking her to make these final edits when she thought she was done. And the other story I ran was, is she mad at me? Is she mad that I asked her to do that? I ran that story. And here's the tragic part of it. On the Wednesday night of that week, two and a half weeks ago, I sent her a final text message and I said, Danya, please tell me you're okay because I am actually getting worried now. And I was woken up at 3 a.m. on the Thursday morning and Danya had perished in a severe, tragic fire in Montreal. And so here I was running my story that it was something I did or there was something between us that was wrong. And she had passed away the week earlier and nobody knew because she was traveling by herself. So it's really a tragic example of how often we can run stories that are not true. And it made the launch of this book very complicated for me because on one hand, I'm grieving the loss of a friend and a beautiful creative soul who is just a bright light. And then the part of me that's, oh my goodness, my raw files for my book are on her computer and I have 17 edits left. What do we do? So it was very complicated and the launch itself is met right now with some, for me, some very mixed emotions. But in the end, I'm dedicating the book to her and launching it as her final legacy and in her honor. Well, first of all, uh, let me give you my deepest condolence on your loss. Yeah, thank uh, you. Anytime losing a friend or business partner, acquaintance, it's never easy, ever. Yeah. Uh, and I also feel your pain on edits. Uh, I released my first book last year mm-hmm. in 2022, and I did my own editing, which I'll never do again. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. <laughs> yeah. The, so the hard part wasn't uh, writing the book, because I already had all the information and decided how I wanted to do it. The hard part was editing. Oh, my Lord. So, yeah, getting everything just right. I must have rewrote that book 20 times by the time I was done. Yeah, I know that story, too. And, you know, I, I also, I coach um, I coach uh, writers uh, through their writing journey. So I will help them through the emotional journey of uncovering their story and the rele- what's relevant in their story. And then I'll coach them on how to produce a book like so the all the pieces that need to be done for production to go to printing and one of the things I will tell them is never edit your own book you always need to have a fresh set of eyes or you will net you will always the mind is so tricky we have this thing called the reticular reticular activating system and it will miss and it will see things in the most uh, like unpredictable ways. So if you're right, you're right, reading the story that you wrote and say you have a grammatical error, a spelling error, a punctuation error, your brain will probably not pick it up because it's going to make it okay because it has to be okay because you have to get your book published. So it's always really important to have fresh set of eyes on your book throughout. So I have three editors go through my book and then I went through it each time that they did. And then I had a couple of um, friends, readers, read the whole thing and pick out anything that I might have missed. So it's editing is such um, it's such a skill to be able to do that. So kudos to you for trying it. I don't recommend it for most writers and authors. 
Yeah, it, it got so bad. I was so particular on this book that I did the uh, audio to text, you know, one of those formats, just yep. to just so I could hear it read even before I would publish it or anything. Yeah. And that, that seemed to help in the editing part. Because, uh, like yeah. you said, our brain plays tricks. And yeah. some of the slang that I used in there, I was like, nobody says that. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i get that um i picked up the last 17 errors at the last minute when i start when i was reading for my audible i was reading the audible for mm -hmm. the recording and that's when i picked up those 17 errors were there through at least 20 edits that i did content editing then my content editor my copy editor my proofreader myself throughout my friends who read it all of us did not pick up these 17 errors. So I want to say this first of all, is we're all perfectly imperfect. And anybody, I had to finally say, anybody who's going to judge me for one spelling error in a book with 50,000 words, I don't necessarily need their feedback. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because we're missing the point of this book. The book is really about how can we welcome ourselves fully with grace and authenticity and relaxation and self-forgiveness and all those things i don't want to hear if there's a typo <laughs> yeah so the book is the call to freedom heal your pain awaken your loving presence is that correct that's correct all right yeah tell us a little bit about it like uh, i know you said it's very personal you didn't leave anything yeah. out now is this mm -hmm. based on your life story or yeah so it's essentially my memoir and it's my memoir with the understanding that pain and, you know, let's just call it collective pain, all the pain that I went through, various pains, is universal. We all feel pain universally. And the medicine for pain is also universal. So in the book, I share my story from the day I was born, a twin separated from my sister, separated from my parents, put in an incubator, nobody attending to me for five weeks. Nobody held me for five weeks and checked on me. And the going home then to a mother who had addictions to manage her own inability to manage life, a father who was a workaholic and abusive, and that was the beginning of my life. And what I include at the end of each chapter are called realignment steps, which are strategies based on life coaching and spiritual coaching, which is a big part of what I do, self-regulation strategies to be able to reflect manage and create change in your life sorry about that my puppy is working i'm gonna just pause myself for a second <laughs> no problem so pain is universal and so is healing universal and there's strategies that are going to be helpful for everybody and every experience that they've had yeah that makes perfect sense and so the story takes us from the day i was born some of the very traumatic and painful moments of my life, including two divorces, bankruptcy, um, massive loss of people I loved dearly, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and neglect. So those are like the, all the big stressors in life. I got to live them. And as I move through the story, it slowly unfolds to my understanding of how I can experience life in a different way how I could bring loving presence to all parts of it, including my grief, my anger, my pain, my trauma. And at the end, it ends with one key sentence, which is, 
what would love do? And that's how I end the story with the understanding that you are me, lovingly disguised as you. Wow. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, that's a, that's such a big part of it is the word love. You know, I tell, uh, I tell people all the time on this program, we were put here to help each other and to love each other, you know, and, and work together. Not all this bickering that we see and division and all that. A couple of things I did want to get to before we, uh, call it a show. Uh, one thing is I read about a retreat, a leadership retreat in Italy. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that? That sounds exciting. Coming up in August, yeah. I think. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. So one of my favorite things to do, and I know one of my greatest gifts is to create community, bringing people together and helping people to really fall in love with, in love with themselves, their lives and each other. And, It is an opportunity. I've been doing retreats for 10 years now. And this retreat in Italy is taking place in August, August 12th to the 19th, at the top of a villa overlooking the Tuscan Mountains. We've rented a villa. And it's a retreat that's called a Conscious Leadership Communication Retreat. So every day we're going to be doing Conscious Communication Leadership Training, which is done through circle work. We'll do some form of movement. So I'm also a yoga instructor and I have my own teacher training academy. So we'll probably do yoga, but we might do other movements. Every day we'll do some form of meditation and breath work. And then every day we're going to take some really fun excursions, explore the Tuscan region. We have a private chef who's going to cook us the most amazing vegetarian meals. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm only taking a very small group. There's currently space. So if anyone wants to join me, You can message me on my website, dianalockett.com. You can go in and contact me, and we can have a conversation. Absolutely. And uh, one last question, and then I'll I'll get you to give out your website and everything else. Um, And I guess this is mainly for me. I've always thought that, you know, we mainly text now is, is a big, huge way of communicating all over the world. And I think that text has actually hurt communication because people read into texts, they put feelings into it that aren't actually there. <laughs> I've actually had this happen to me uh, in the past where somebody would actually think that I was upset with them. And I'm like, no, I just asked a question. <laughs> so what, what are your thoughts on that? Am I way off on this or... No, I I think texting is just one of the many complications that we have that's severing our ability to be intimate in communication. When I say intimate, I just mean connected. I don't mean like in a sexual intimate way. I just mean connected. We have, first of all, lost a lot of our ability to interact and communicate in the last three years, having gone through this massive trauma in the world where people were told not to interact with each other. And we've all had to go virtual. So we've forgotten how to be with each other. And so much of communication is, is one is, of course, what you say and how you say it. But there's also a lot of what you don't say in communication. And that cannot come through in a text message or an email. So I encourage people, like if you really have something meaningful to say, or you're unsure how a message is received, how you've received it, pick up the phone and have a conversation. Drive over and visit the person if you can. We need to get back to those. Like, you know, 30 years ago, 
we only had face-to-face conversations. There was no texting. There was, I'm like, I'm dating myself now, but there was no texting. There was no email. We would pick up the phone or we would walk across the street and talk to the person. And we really need to get back to that because we're losing our ability to communicate today. And I have two kids. One is 25. She's super conscious. She's doing her PhD. I'm super proud of her. And she really values connection and relationships and communication. I also have a 16-year-old son who for 16 months during COVID was not able to go to school, was in remote learning and did not have any social interactions. And I see him now trying to navigate the world and his life and his relationships. And it's really hard for him. And I have to encourage him. Sometimes I even have to coach him like how to start a conversation. So I think that we have a lot of issues today in the world around communication. We need to be aware of it because it's not going to get repaired unless we do something about it. And for those text messages, when you receive a text message and you're not sure how to interpret it, even if you feel for sure you think, oh, this was a negative, pick up the phone and clarify. Because what happens is that starts to create tension dynamics in the relationship. And then over time, the relationships become fractured. Yep, 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 yep. I agree 100%. All right. So, uh, Diana, uh, what I'd like to do now, and once again, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. I'd like for you to go ahead and give out your social media. If someone has a, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs and companies that listen to this show as well, if they want to maybe bring you in or get some advice or mentorship, that would be great. How can they contact Perfect. you? Thank you. So my website, dianalockett.com, D-I-A-N-A-L-O-C-K-E-T-T.com, has my contact me information. And you'll be able to see there the programs that I do for corporations, the programs that I do for education, as well as I do one-on-one leadership coaching and mentoring for conscious leaders, for people or people who want to be conscious leaders. And usually the way that people come to me is they don't say, I want to be conscious. They come to me and they say, yeah, something's not going great in my life. Something's not well. I'm not feeling complete. I'm not feeling fulfilled. So those are the people that I work with. They get to that point where they're ready for a change. The social media platforms that I have, I have Facebook and it's dm.locket, Instagram, Diana Lockett Coach, LinkedIn, Diana Lockett. Those are my three main platforms. And I'm happy to connect with people to have conversations. I'm pretty active on social media. I'm also on TikTok. Reluctantly, I'm on TikTok. And um, I I put out content that is thought-provoking, feeling-provoking, helping people to consider life from a different perspective. I think that's great. I really do. So once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's been a pleasure. And uh, folks, you've been listening to The Red Pill Current News Podcast. With your host, the Kentucky Guy. And as always, God bless and God bless America.